Welcome to Cool Breeze Over the Mountains, a podcast where we chronologically step through and discuss each movie starring Keanu Reeves. My name is Andrew Gormley, and I am one of your hosts. I am joined on this episode and every episode by my co-hosts. She is the one you send to kill the boogeyman, Whitney Nelson. That's right. That's right. And that man is fucking an animal, Evan Wells. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's back. Yes. Uh, yeah, I apologize in advance to Canadians for what just happened there. That was, <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, it was a really good impression of how yeah. Keanu Reeves delivered yeah, that line. Exactly. All right. Well then. Okay. I'll take that. I'll take that. He has to apologize. Right. He apologizes. <laughs> then I'll apologize. Yeah. There's a, there's an order of operations here. <laughs> Today we are talking about the 1988 film Dangerous Liaisons. Do you know why I summoned you here this evening? I'd hoped it might be for the pleasure of my company. You remember when Bastide left me? Yes. Went off with that fat mistress of yours whose name escapes me. Yes, yes. No one has ever done that to me before, or to you, I suspect. Monsieur le Vicomte de Valmont, my child whom you very probably don't remember, except that he is conspicuously charming, never opens his mouth without first calculating what damage he can do. You may rely on my discretion. Thank you, sir. Providing, of course, that you agree to my price. The IMDb plot synopsis here is a scheming widow and her manipulative ex-lover make a bet regarding the corruption of a recently married woman. Mm Mm-hmm. It was directed by Stephen Frears, who's had a number of directing successes with films like High Fidelity, which is a personal favorite, The Queen, and Philomena. There are a lot of recognizable names in this film. We have Glenn Close, John Malkovich, Michelle Pfeiffer, Uma Thurman, (laughs) and Peter Capaldi. What do we think about this cast? Pretty stellar, right? Amazing. Amazing. It's a heck of a cast. We're back at uh, a movie that has critical reception. Whitney. Yes, it does. This is quite the critical reception. Do you want to run us down what we're dealing with here? Yeah, this is a 93% on Rotten Tomatoes. Unreal. (laughs) And that's for the critical reception. The audience reception gives it an 83%, which is also pretty high. Yeah. Is this the highest? This might be the highest Critical. I definitely Keanu. believe this yeah. is the highest reception on either end that we've seen so far. <laughs> this might be the highest critical Keanu ever, maybe. <laughs> I think. <laughs> so I pulled a, a user quote here from Rotten Tomatoes, and we have a couple other ones, but I thought that this was a pretty sick burn. Jennifer D, <laughs> she writes, I love France in this time pretty dresses. I found it very intriguing and seductive. Proves once more that Glenn Close is astonishing and that Keanu Reeves actually has had a good role in his life. (laughs) Yikes. That hurts. Jennifer. That is rough. That's harsh. Also, especially considering he isn't very good in this movie. Well, that is also the thing, right? Again, we're on a movie that is not necessarily a Keanu Reeves movie at all. No. This does not play to his strengths. (laughs) Well, Well, also, what do we think? Like screen time, though, 10 minutes? If that, it's crazy. Yeah. 
So this is very clearly a Glenn Close and John Malkovich vehicle. And in that regard, they both slay in this movie. Really? You think John Malkovich does? There's a lot of acting. Because I pulled a, I pulled a quote from Rotten Tomatoes again when I was looking through the reviews from user Anna B that I feel like very, very accurately sums up my feelings about John Malkovich in this yeah, movie. Yeah, go for it. Let's hear. She says, fun movie, but I just don't buy Malkovich as a seducer. He does that detached, bored aristocrat who judges everyone and is a dick pretty well. <laughs> yeah. But... Would he de- but what does Michelle Pfeiffer's character see in him? He doesn't play weak, pathetic, and penitent very well. He's also not all that seductive. He mostly just smashes his face against her face and grabs her a bunch. I'd get a restraining order, not want to save him with my vagina. <laughs> but aside from that, I enjoyed the cast and outfits. And I'm right there with you, Anna B. No, that's good. I think what they did is they didn't put the seduction on screen for a lot of it, too. Like, they would... They would reference seduction in following scenes. You know, at one point they were like the things he said or the things that he did. Like I wasn't able to control myself, but they would never show them. So I think that's a great point. He didn't he couldn't do the seduction piece, but he was very good at being classic Malkovich. Yeah, I think he definitely did the detached board aristocrat part well. So I was reading some critical reviews and I didn't really have anything that I necessarily wanted to pull out from those. But one person did say that it feels like in this movie, the director had too much disdain for the characters. Mm. He didn't Ooh, like them. Yeah. Wow. And so that was like what was bad about the movie was not the performances that were turned in was not the movie itself because it's you know taken from a very good well-received play and it is a book that did very 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 well yeah but the the issue with that anyone might have with this movie is that the director didn't like the characters and so the characters were never like this could be a political statement where it's a they're a product of their time Mm -hmm. And, you know, you could go into the excess of being rich and having nothing to do. And this is what you turn to and the the machinations and all that kind of stuff. You could do it about the political climate at the time and having that kind of wealth. You could also do it about the characters themselves and have them be more relatable in some way. But this director did not like the characters. And I think that's where it, it falls through for me with John Malkovich is that I don't buy anyone being like, yeah, I have to bang that dude. <laughs> I just don't. Interesting. I was just going to say we should... We're all agreeing as well that this is Cruel Intentions, right? Yes, Cruel Intentions is explicitly the same book. Oh, yeah. Okay. That's very much, yeah, that's very true. Yeah, I, I, I looked it up, and I, after the fact, I was thinking, hmm, this feels familiar. And uh, I was right. going to say yeah. something last time when we were recording, and you guys didn't know what this was about. And I was going to say, well, you have, seen, have you seen Cruel Intentions? But then I didn't want to give away that this was Cruel Intentions ah, because they're both the same source material. Got it. I was going to say something, and then I was like, no, if they're going in blind, I'll let them go in totally blind. <laughs> yeah. My eyes Solid. are open. <laughs> I do think that this story works better in as Cruel Intentions, if only because everyone in this is so petty and also so easily malleable that it works better with teenagers. Like, I buy it more with teenagers than I do with a bunch of grown-ass adults. Yeah, uh, I had a, a I was drawing um, parallels to um, the modern-day Romeo and Juliet with DiCaprio. Hmm. It's yeah. like they, they took a classic and put it in the view of, of teens, or at least young adults, and, you know, tried to make it make sense. 
Yeah. Yeah, I guess with the the hormones and everything like that, yeah, running wild. Yeah, I I definitely felt a little bit more of a, a connection for whatever reason to Cruel Intentions. So, yeah, that was a okay. I can get I can get behind that. So overall, does this movie work for everybody? Hmm. Andrew, go ahead. <laughs> oh, I'm going to start off. I've I don't think I've ever started off. So this is brand new uncharted territory for me. <laughs> you're you're special, you know. I thank you for that, first of all. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) This movie, uh, I'll go out and say that this is not a thing that I ever would have sought out. So I didn't even know this was a period piece going in. Mm. Oh, so this really took you by surprise. Yeah, Yeah, I literally try. If I haven't seen the movie already, I tried to go in with no knowledge. And once I saw the cover art, I saw some there's some powdered (laughs) wigs there. I'm like, mm-hmm. oh no, this is <laughs> this is usually not my bag. I'll just yeah, say yeah. that. I thought this movie was fine. I here's here's my I I don't like it. I could I could say it's fine, not my thing. I could see why it won a lot of praise. You know, a lot of critical reception. Well, it's definitely Oscar bait. Yes, that is. Oh, yeah. That's always the case. I think of the favorite this year. And the, you know, the kind of win that that had, as well as the, uh, or no, the leading actress in The Favorite. I'm spacing on her name right now, but. Oh, her her acceptance speech was so charming. Yes, she's just a delightful what human being. Olivia? Olivia, yes. We'll, uh, we'll figure yeah. that out. But the overall messages of this movie, this is just like a bunch of rich people being shitty. And mm-hmm. I I didn't find myself connecting with or rooting for anyone in this movie. So the whole time, yeah. if you could just sit back and watch people be shitty to each other, then this is a movie that you will enjoy a lot. But for me, while I found some of it funny and some of it maybe a little bit moving overall... It, it did not work for me. I did not like it. Mm-hmm. So I think you were feeling what that one reviewer was saying, because I think it's true. I didn't think about it at the time when I was watching it. But when I read that review, I was like, wait, hang on. That's a really good point. I do think that the reason why, because in the in the book, you have more. Well, the book is not from their perspective, the like John Malkovich, Glenn Close perspective yes which the movie is and critical uh cruel intentions is it's from those perspective and it's harder to be sympathetic when it's you know from their perspective but also there's a lot more that you can do with it to make them at least somewhat sympathetic even if they're going to be shitty to everybody like wanting to emotionally connect with someone is the whole reason that we watch movies to begin with yeah and i don't think you do in this and i think that that reviewer was dead on is it's because the director actually has distaste for the characters and the storyline and so he didn't do anything to make them likable but then that means that it makes the movie less interesting to watch yeah that's always the biggest thing for me like if even if there was i you know keanu in this even we don't know enough about him to really care he's like a music teacher and that's about the depth (laughs) of his care and he's as far as I could tell, in the one scene where he was teaching music, he's pretty shitty at that. He's not very good, he's not very good at it either. <laughs> yeah. I will say, from uh, on the technical side, this movie is I, the location scout deserves a raise for Infinity. This was 
beautifully set. The yep. production mm-hmm. design, the costuming, the camera work, all of that stuff was just fantastic. I was blown away. I'm looking, I'm like, this is this is not a set. This is an actual castle yeah, for no, real. They, they I think they I think they shot every single thing in the north of France. Like I think that was all real, like estates and chateaus and all that Another kind of thing. French like things. I think they're all period. <laughs> Another French yeah. things. There's a scene French early in the movie where they're raising a uh, chandelier. It's too oh, yeah. good mm-hmm. to be <laughs> fake. Uh, like yep. that thing had to have been real. Yep. I, I think everyone here did a decent job acting. Some more than others. Mm-hmm. Glenn Close. There's a lot of acting that's done through like smirks and glances, mm-hmm. and I thought that mm-hmm. was really mm-hmm. well done. Where they're not explicit. You just you like, oh, these these two have a shorthand, and they can just exchange a whole thing through a look. So I thought that was really yeah. good. Glenn Close did an incredible job. Yeah. yeah, and she somehow has just like not really aged at all. It's I'm looking at this movie, I'm like, <laughs> she basically looks like that still. It's crazy to me. So mm-hmm. that's uh yeah. So that's those are my overall thoughts. I didn't I didn't particularly care for it, but there were moments of it that were really really well done. I could see yeah. again, you Oscar Bate is the perfect description of this film. Yeah. Yeah. I so when I first saw it was a long time ago, like a long long time ago, and I was I was like a teenager and I liked it then. Mm-hmm. But then I've only seen Cruel Intentions since and I've seen it multiple <laughs> times. And I think that the I think that that swayed I had a different impression of things that went down in this movie and I I don't remember how much force went into things like sexual force yeah like assault went into things in this movie and i feel like it actually takes away from the storyline because the whole point of these two is how manipulative they are and how these grand schemes that they do to get everyone to do what they want they get everyone to do what they want of their own free will at least that was what i remembered the story being having watched cruel intentions where it's everyone does everything of their own free will and the same things the exact same plot points almost scene for scene go down for the most part Mm -hmm. but everyone in it is acting of their own volition and maybe they're coercing people at some points that normally they wouldn't be doing a certain thing like definitely the character of cecile she still gets talked into stuff she wouldn't otherwise do but she wants to do it when she's doing it and i i definitely think that that did not play well for me now in retrospect having watched it again yeah john malkovich's character in particular is just i never felt great about him but then there were times in that movie where I just think to myself, this guy is an asshole. (laughs) (laughs) There's a scene that at the very end of the film that happens, you two know what I'm talking about. And all I could think was, Mm -hmm. good. Yes. yes, That's what I thought the whole movie. Good. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Andrew, I'm I'm in your camp big time. Um, I'm going to borrow a little bit from you, Whitney, as well. I think it was pretty overt with the just with the the assault and the it was like yeah it, it was it was tough to watch at least one or two scenes um were pretty tough to watch and and you're you're sitting there while you're watching it and you're like come on don't don't do that like it's it's got to stop right here like you, you're just waiting for that to kind of come to a head and and stop um and i don't like that in movies i don't like wanting something not to happen um outside of like 
being afraid or being scared. I, I don't I don't like when I, I have that thought while I'm watching a movie. Um, and then yeah. mm-hmm. the I mean, I love John Malkovich. For me, that guy doesn't really do wrong. Um, and but it, it was hard. There, there were enough moments in this movie from him that were so great that they definitely outweighed those moments where it was like, no, that's not your thing. Like, don't try to be that person. Um, but mm-hmm. some of his, like, glances and some of those classic, like, Malkovich faces that just kind of go right through you where it's just like, whoa, you know, he is – there's something going on in his, in his head that he's planning. Yeah. And it's, like, super intense and it really comes across – um, and then I got, Andrew, you didn't mention color, but I got thrown off by the coloring in this movie in general. Um, and I think it, it felt really warm to me. Um, mm. like they focused a lot on, on, you know, the reds and the yellows and, um, and that's probably because of all the powder that's in the movie, you know, powdered faces and wigs and all that. Yeah. Um, but it, it really threw me. I just... It, it just kind of threw me off. I don't know if you caught on to that, but there was a lot of... You're too used to today's all blues and <laughs> Maybe that's what it is. Um, it. It's actual film, Ev. Yeah. yeah. There's <laughs> noise and shit. It's yeah. authentic. That might be it. But um, I, I thought at just at a high level, the movie was... Um, it, there was a lot going on. You know, they, they had a lot of different moving parts and i get that you want a little bit of complexity in a movie you want something you have to follow and i kind of got lost in the names too if i'll be honest like they were very french names and there were some crossover (laughs) crossover, like some of the names sounded similar and for a little while it was kind of like hold on hold on which person are they talking about um yeah all of my notes are written with the characters uh, or not with the characters' names, but with the actors' names. Right. Not even try. It's so so much easier to keep people <laughs> yeah. straight. Yeah, um, I'm not even going to try to pronounce some of those. But um, yeah, yeah, I, I, it it was a movie. It was it was good. It just it, something wasn't there for me. I think they, for me, it was like they didn't love their own plot. They didn't love their own writing, so they built it up with good great actors, um, mm-hmm. and that. That's kind of what where I felt about it. My only other technical point, because we've kind of covered everything that I feel about yeah. it, uh, is that the I thought the cinematography was good. Like you said, the obviously the locations and the sets and the props and the costume and everything is gorgeous <laughs> yeah. and it's very richly detailed and very authentic and beautiful. But I thought that the editing was terrible. I thought the editing was disconcerting. None of the none of the shots match up. Yeah. Like they cut back and forth too often between things in montages and they don't give you a sense of place. Like with editing, when you cut from one to another, like characters are supposed to be walking out one way and walk in another way. So you have an idea of like a sense of movement, but when they walk in the other door, your brain goes, what's happening. They've now changed directions and stuff. And I felt like the editing did that the entire movie in a bunch of different ways where it was jump cutting weird and it, it never gave you a sense of place. And it didn't feel to me like it was on purpose to tell the story. Yeah. It just felt like it was the editor doing that because that's how he likes to cut, which didn't it didn't resonate with me. I, it took me out of it a couple of times where there were cuts where I was like, wait, what's going on? Where are we now? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. There was a, a really great meme going around about Bohemian Rhapsody. And that it shouldn't have won the award for best editing, 
it should have won the award for most editing because you have a scene where there were 17 cuts for a person just to like sit down. And yeah, I definitely got that in this movie. There were even a couple times when the camera would cut and a person was not even in the room anymore. Like uh, one of the servants escorts someone in a room mm-hmm. and then there's a cut and they're like, where did she go? She's gone now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's the little stuff. If you're looking for it, I guess you'll find it. But I'm always kind of looking for that stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I really only notice that kind of stuff when it is either helping to tell the story very well or not telling the story at all is when I notice stuff like editing. Because um, I know enough to know like when someone's making a conscious choice, but it tends to, when it's good, it slips into the background unless it's like something that's helping the plot along or something that is not helping the plot along. In this case, it was not helping the plot along at all. Yeah. There was something, Ev, that you said that sparked... Is something in my brain, I think we can all agree that the character John Malkovich plays is a very bad person, right? Yep. <laughs> and But I kept coming back to him as someone that I wanted to watch. And I think that is on the strength of Malkovich as an actor. Like, I'm a fan of pretty much everything else that he's in. So even when he's playing someone who is a asshat... Uh, he's very he's a very charismatic actor so there maybe that was there was a pull there where i'm like i like john malkovich but i hate this guy but john malkovich so yeah that that, that's an interesting that's an interesting thing i'm watching this guy do terrible stuff Mm -hmm. but it's john malkovich so yeah there's my yeah (laughs) that's all i got for that i'm not opposed to watching him do terrible stuff i just didn't buy him being this great seducer who convinces all of these women to sleep with him because i didn't ever he just he both of these people are sociopaths oh without a doubt glenn close feels like she's empty but she does it in a way where i could see people wanting to sleep with her and be a part be her friend and be part of all of these intrigues and whatever john malkovich is a sociopath and he's empty in a way that i don't see him convincing women to fall in love with him like, all of his stuff rings so hollow, and that was the point. Like, it was supposed to be that he's empty inside and all of the stuff he says rings hollow. But, like, there's no reason why all of these women should go with it then. Um, and so that's the only plot point. The only thing that I don't like about John Malkovich is that I don't buy that part of his performance yeah. as being realistic at all. But I think all of his performance was incredible. I think that was more of a choice of the director than it was necessarily John Malkovich's choice. Because it was definitely a conscious thing to be, like, hollow and, you know, creepy rather than, like, someone that women could fall in love with. But I do think that he has an incredible amount of gravitas and and, and does inhabit the role very well. Yeah, I think yeah. going to build on that, yeah, I think maybe maybe it's a case of his reputation precedes him. Like, he's got this playboy kind of reputation, but really when you see his tactics... It's basically what that commenter said, where he just throws himself into women and mm-hmm. hope that they don't say no. And if he mm-hmm. thinks that they will say no, he will dangle some sort of threat over them, like he did with Cecile. He had, mm-hmm. you know, the thing with the key that he mentioned for her. He's like, you, yep. mm-hmm. it, you invited me or whatever. So yep. I kept picturing, um, and, and call me crazy for this one, but like Javier Bardem would have been oh, who I kind you. of pictured instead of uh, Malkovich. Obviously, I don't think Interesting. age would have worked, but I think he would have been the right amount of 
bad, but also the right amount of, um, you know, someone who could be seductive in a, in a role. Interest, suave and mystique, you know, he's yeah. got that combination. That would, that's like, this is like your dream casting. Yeah. Javier Bardem in this role. Yeah. What about Ryan Felipe? <laughs> is that how you say his name? Did I give it too much of a French thing there? I don't know. Well, Felipe? French is good for this role. So yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Do we have anything else at the high level we want to talk about? No, I don't think so. I think I, I've said everything that I have. Yeah, let's go. Dear listeners, <laughs> I'm very excited to introduce a new segment on the show. This is a segment we're calling Pop Quiz Asshole. There was a time when I had the need to learn from you. Oh, what the hell do you know? Lose. I don't lose! I win! She got a lot to learn about sportsmanship. Aptly named because of the Keanu line that is iconic in time. There'll be <laughs> a couple questions that I'm going to ask both Whitney and Evan. Three, and they're going to be matched. And if they get it right, you will hear this sound. If they get it wrong, you will hear this one. <laughs> Sound good? Uh-huh. Great. Oh, man. I'm going to start with Whitney. Yes. One of the actresses in this film went on to work with Keanu again a few years later. Which actress and what was the name of the film? Oh, I don't know. Is that your answer? <laughs> I'm trying to think. I'm so, I'm so bad at that, like, seven degrees of separation game. Yeah. I was, we played that a lot in film school, and I always was the worst at it, Is because it I can't. So, um, for Kevin Bacon, I believe it's six. Most, he gets six? Yeah, most other yeah. actors are seven, but Kevin Bacon, because he's amazing, is yeah. six. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I can't think of... I'm trying to place... I am going to do terrible at this game. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it was Uma Thurman in a movie called Even Cowgirls Get the Blues. Sounds like a winner. I don't think I've even heard of that movie. I yeah. know. Me either. I'm just trying to make connections. You'll see that these yeah. all of these other questions are tenuous at best. Here we go, Evan. Uh-oh. Two of the actresses in this film were also... Batman villains. Name the actresses and the villains they played. Um, come on. <laughs> uh, you know what's sad about this is someone who's listening to this podcast has already named both. Yeah. And, and I'm just being judged heavily. Sure, 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 um, sure, sure. Hmm, I gotta believe that Uma Thurman has been a villain. Yes, that is correct. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to say that she was Catwoman. <laughs> Nailed it. Can I steal? <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Let's let's oh, make up the man. rules as we go. Steal. Do it. Uma Thurman was Poison Ivy and Michelle Pfeiffer was Catwoman. <laughs> I was close. I'm loving this. I love this little buzzer situation I got going on. It's amazing. All right. So there's a point for Whitney. We're going to put one in your column here. 
I think we should probably tally up the points throughout the course of this thing, too, uh, and see who is do. the ultimate winner. This is a question for Whitney. Mm-hmm. This international pop star wore the costume of Glenn Close from Dangerous Liaisons during a live performance of her hit song during the 1990 MTV Video Music Awards. Whoa. I don't know, but I'm going to guess Madonna. Nailed it. God, <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> Two for Whitney. Ev, bring it home with this one, buddy. This actor who had his breakout role this very year as a German villain portrayed the role of Valmont on Broadway for years. Um, can you repeat the question? Yeah, I can. <laughs> Unbelievable. This actor, this is the important part. Listen to this part who had his breakout role this very year as a German villain, portrayed the role of Valmont on Broadway for years. Um, Valmont. No, don't focus on that part of the question. <laughs> well, no, but I... I that that would be Malkovich's character. Okay. I know Broadway a little bit more... You're focusing um, on the wrong parts of this, I think. <laughs> I think uh, Whitney's going to steal. Go ahead. Wait, wait, wait. No, 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 no. she's not. She doesn't know either. Was it oh. Schreiber? Was it Schreiber? Mm. Oh, man. The hint, the hint, the really important part is German villain and 1988. Uh, yeah. You, you already got it wrong. Whitney, would you like to try to steal? Alan Rickman? God. Oh, my God. Hans Gruber. Hans Gruber. Right? Yeah. Woo! Okay. Yeah, that was oh, a complete man. guess. I did not know that one. Okay. Oh, see, uh, look at I have, you. I have, a, I have a bonus point question, though. Okay. John Malkovich began an affair on the set of this movie with a woman in this movie, which resulted in him divorcing his wife. Get Whoa. out. Uh, Who do you think it was? Oh, wow. This is hmm. a heavy question. I'm going to go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say Uma. This is the first to answer. If he's going Uma, I'm going to go Michelle Pfeiffer. Michelle Pfeiffer is correct. Of course. That's sweet. I I can't wait to maintain just a zero for (laughs) the entire... Zero the whole time. (laughs) Okay. I'm going to try. All right. These last two, I'm going to try to make it easy on both of you. These are multiple choice, and I hope they're pretty straightforward. I think it turns out that Whitney's might be easier than Evan's, but here we go. Oh, great. Whitney, how many Academy mm-hmm. Awards did this film win? Three, five, or none? It won three and was nominated for seven. Uh, don't add extra knowledge in. That's not necessary. <laughs> oh, sorry for showing off. I'm sorry. Okay, Ev, final question. <laughs> this is your chance to get on the board. All right. I'm asking the questions and I'm somehow ahead of you here. Okay, here we go. <laughs> wow. Which of the following actresses was originally offered the role of Cecile? Okay, that's the role that went to Uma Thurman. Was it Elizabeth Perkins, Sarah Jessica Parker, or Julia Roberts? Whoa, cool. Um, (laughs) uh, I'm going to say C. Julia Julia Roberts? Roberts? Perfect. 
This is great. Sabot- Sarah Jessica Parker. Oh my god. <laughs> okay. All right. Wow. Well, I didn't read anything about this movie, so next time I'm going to. A Whitney just guessed. The, I mean, Hans Gruber is not associated with this movie at all. That's just general. I tried to make Batman villains. I tried to make it general. I don't know. I don't know. No, I could only. I could only think of for when you first asked the question. I could only think of one German villain. It was Christoph Waltz, and I was like, "That's not for like another fifteen years." So <laughs> yeah. I don't know. And then I realized, hang on, late eighties might be Die Hard. Right. One of my all-time favorites. You know, in it, when in doubt, you can always try to go to Die Hard or Batman for me. And th- th- mm-hmm. those are solid, solid answers. Mm-hmm. So that was Pop Quiz, asshole. I, I hope everyone enjoyed that as much as I did. I know that I had a great time <laughs> with that yeah. segment. I loved that it. That was fun. I really, Good. En- I really enjoyed it. <laughs> All right, so I guess it's time to talk about what happens in the movie. Yeah, let's make it happen. Whitney's leading this, so take us away. All right, so we start with a montage of people in pre-revolution Paris getting ready for the day in a very luxurious fashion. Uh, We see Glenn Close first. She plays the Marquise de Mertil, and she's admiring herself in a mirror. We cut to a bevy of male servants entering a different room. To, like open curtains and draw a bath and blah blah blah. One of the servants takes a tray of what looks like hot towels over to the bed and we don't see who's in it. All we see is like a pile of blankets and a hand with a roughly lace collar pokes up to grab one. Yeah, this should be it should be noted that this is very similar to how my day starts. Damn. Keeping it 100. (laughs) Yeah. We come back to Glenn Close who's being dressed and powdered by her ladies' maids. We go back to the figure in bed who has a hot towel wrapped around their face. We still don't see them, but we, he's getting a manicure and his nostrils plucked. Mm. And so the, it keeps going. We cut back and forth between them getting dressed and picking out shoes and wigs and et cetera, and making sure that we know how fancy these folks are. And for some reason, they don't show the dude's face the entire time, leaving the reveal of the guy as John Malkovich until the end. I'm not sure why they did that. I don't know if John Malkovich was like bigger at the time than Glenn Close was, but they like... Specifically, the first thing you see is Glenn Close. Yeah. But they this whole getting ready montage, they purposefully like have a reveal of it being John Malkovich, and I thought that was super weird. Yeah, he like takes off a mask. Even it's yeah, very bizarre. Yeah, it was like a it was like a black plague mask too. Is kind of where it was like yeah, the the like shield that he put over his face when they powdered his hair looked like a plague doctor mask. Yeah, real weird. Um, <laughs> and then he pulls it away, and it's John Malkovich. And I guess we're supposed to be like, oh shit but I wasn't. I I was. I I did that. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. So he gets in a carriage to go visit Glenn Close, who is playing cards with Swoosie Kurtz, while young Uma Thurman wafts around waifishly. And Swoosie Kurtz is the mother, and it appears that Uma Thurman has recently had her debut into society, and her mother is teaching her to not speak unless spoken to, so she's bored and... Whatever. And Glenn Close is already coming off as devious when she looks at Uma Thurman and says, let's see what we can devise for your amusement. Yeah. (laughs) And then John Malkovich is announced and the mother leaves no time in saying this man is conspicuously charming and doesn't open his mouth without first calculating what damage he can do. And Uma Thurman's like, well, then why is anyone letting him visit? And the mom says, well, everybody does. So we've already established what kind of a man John Malkovich is before he even enters the room. Yeah, he hasn't (laughs) even said a single word, and we already know. (laughs) 
So he says that he's come in to pay a call before leaving Paris because A, he doesn't want to be in Paris in August, obviously, and B, he's neglected his aunt. Turns out Swizzy and Uma were also invited to the aunt's chateau for the summer. But all of this conversation is happening. Literally every single piece of this conversation is happening while he's staring at Uma Thurman's boobs. Yeah. Oh, man, it was so bad. And be, yeah. And she was like, the mom was like, we got to get this innocent woman away from this lech. So they they go out and we find Cecile has been living in a convent up until now. So they leave and then we get down to the nitty gritty with Glenn Close and John Malkovich. She asked him to come over so she could talk him into a revenge scheme. (laughs) A former lover of hers left her to run off with John Malkovich's former mistress, but is currently in need of a wife. So for both of them to get revenge on their former lovers, they are going to develop this plan because this third party who we never actually see in the movie needs a wife, likes young convent educated girls and has his sights set on Uma Thurman who has guaranteed virtue. Yes. Glenn Close wants John Malkovich to seduce Uma and take that virtue. And she says, love and revenge, two of your favorites. Mm. And he says, no, it's way too easy to seduce her. It would ruin my reputation. (laughs) But what he really wants, what's really making him say, no, I won't seduce this young woman because that would look bad for me as a cad. What I really want is Michelle Pfeiffer is staying with my aunt over the summer. And she is a woman known for her strict morals and happy marriage. And so he wants to seduce her for the prestige of seducing a famously unseducible woman. Right. It's the challenge of it that he's more interested in. Thrill of the chase. Exactly. So he's going to, to he has his sights set on going to his aunt's house to seduce this woman that no one thinks he would be able to seduce. Can can we also talk about the the deal that Malkovich and Glenn Close made as like a reward for being able to well, complete yeah, this? Yeah, I'm about to get into that. All right. It's, so, it's, it's nuts. It's absolutely insane. <laughs> well, in this conversation, you start to see the dynamic of John Malkovich being in love with Glenn yep. Close. And there's clearly a basis in this conversation of them having been this way for a long time. Mm-hmm. And she and her obsession with power and manipulating people is gets off on him being infatuated with her and her not like keeping it in sort of the friend zone essentially yeah um they established that so he then tells glenn close that the two of them should sleep together he's like you know while we're doing this other stuff you know maybe we should fool around because i'm sure you're not being satisfied by whoever you're sleeping with and you really start to see that dynamic of him like being in love with her and she says that if he gets written proof of seducing michelle pfeiffer she will reward him by, you know, uh, putting it on him. Yes. But that, the, the written proof is non-negotiable for this transaction. So if he wants her to put it on him, she's got to get a letter. Yeah. And then as if it was cash, he asked for an advance. And that was pretty <laughs> yes. amazing. Uh, yes. Yeah. And uh, she denies the advance. <laughs> Then they part, and we see that this entire time, Glenn Close has had a young man in her bedroom just waiting for her, which is a boss move. Yeah. And they never revealed this guy. 
Yeah, well, that's because it doesn't yeah, matter. It's just one of many, not, none presumably. None of these people matter. Right. They're all just Just pawns. waiting in the wings. So then we cut to John Malkovich at church, and apparently he's already made the trip to the countryside and has already moved in with his aunt at the chateau at the estate, and we are at church. Um, they That was a real big time jump yeah. for me that confused Weeks. me at first. Um, yeah. So he's standing against the side, leaning against the wall in church, which is... Um, bold at that time and watching Michelle Pfeiffer take the sacrament and then the whole party of people who are staying at the aunt's estate decide to walk back from church and that's when they finally get a chance to sort of like talk. Mm -hmm. Michelle Pfeiffer asks why he didn't also take the sacrament and he says well I have this appalling reputation and she's like oh I know I've been warned about you and he says that he's been surrounded his whole life by immoral people and I've become one of them, but I feel unworthy now and I want to be a better man. And like is giving this impression of bearing his soul to Michelle Pfeiffer in the first time he meets her. And she approves of this, of him wanting to be a better man and etc. Yeah. So then we cut to the opera and Glenn is using her spyglass or opera glass to watch everybody but the show. And there in the audience is Keanu Reeves crying at the beauty of the music. Yay. It's incredible. These are, mm -hmm. I remember a few episodes ago, Evan had mentioned our first Keanu tears, and that was me f crying about Keanu. These are the actual first Keanu first tears. Keanu oh, tears. Important yeah. to, dis to distinguish. For Keanu, by Keanu. That's, yeah. <laughs> an, an upsetting moment for me because. From the last movie, I really wanted to maintain that he would have short hair for this since he hacked it off in uh, right. Prince of Pennsylvania, but he's wearing a wig. I was like, man. Mm -hmm. So we'll never know. Uh, next yeah. movie, it's going to be not quite as long, but not super short either. You'll see. Okay. <laughs> okay. Mar Mark Evans' I've words. Said it. All right. Declared. Evan, yeah. zero points, medium not length so hair. Not so short, but not can so you, long. Yeah. Can you put that on the website? Can pick them out of a lineup. Andrew, add, it's, put, put yeah, it on the website. It'll be, I'll add a page on the website, Keanu Hair Watch. Thank you. It'll be, thank you, thank you. It'll be fine. <laughs> I should yeah. probably get bonus points if I'm right. <laughs> 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 All right. I see how it is. Okay. Good to know. So, Glenn Close invites Keanu Reeves in to meet Uma Thurman after the show and convinces her mother to hire him as a music teacher for Uma. Then we cut to John Malkovich. He's going hunting with his butler. And we see that John's asked the butler to seduce Michelle Pfeiffer's maid in order to steal all of her correspondence. But so far the butler has been seducing the maid, but hasn't been successful in convincing her to steal correspondence. Mm. So... He does get some intel, though, and he knows that Michelle Pfeiffer doesn't believe that he goes hunting in the morning. She thinks he's up to something else. So he's had a she's had like a footman follow them. And instead of going hunting, they do shoot at him quickly, but only to distract him. Um, they go into town and there's a poor man having all of his things repossessed and he pays off the old poor man's debt and is surrounded by his family, all poor people begging for money. And he hands out money to all of them with Michelle Pfeiffer's spy, watching them all be grateful and hit this charitable act that he's doing. Yes. Very saintly. Then we find out that John Malkovich's Butler specifically picked these people out right? Uh, for this purpose, because they wanted to be caught being generous to the poor in quote unquote secret. 
And it works. And Michelle Pfeiffer is not only deeply moved by this act of charity, she also tells the aunt, who is also deeply moved. Yep. But then she's gotten another letter warning her of all the horrible things that he's done. And she says, how can someone who is just doing such nice things be so depraved? And he says, well, since I don't know who is saying all of these things about me, let me just say that all of this is because I'm a weak man who is easily influenced. My act of charity was just me being influenced by a powerful new force in my life. You. Please help me fight my feelings for you. I would never dream of doing anything illicit and insulting you, but I can't help myself. It's a good line. This is after one, two days? Yes. Yes. It could happen. Maybe. And she gets so overwrought with emotion at this confession of love that she has to run into her room and take off her corset. Yeah. Um, that was... I, I didn't really grasp all that. It's like, is she... Well, that's because you've never is worn a corset. Okay? <laughs> I, I know, but I, I don't know. It just no. Literally, literally, people are laced so tight into those that as soon as you start to get like emotional in any way, like flustered or hot or you know deep breathing of any kind, you can't, and then you start to like panic because you feel claustrophobic. Yeah, so that's why. That's why women had fainting couches and all that kind of thing because literally you would get mad at somebody and feel like you were going to pass out. Yeah, I guess I wanted them to portray that it was more shock and less like admiration. Oh, the the emotion itself was yeah. what you were. Like, were they trying to say that she was like awesome? I'm so glad this guy loves me and that feels good, and I'm gonna I'm I'm getting hot. Or oh, that's terrible. This is freaking me out, and I'm getting hot. Somewhere in between the two. Yeah, and I also didn't love that they told people that they loved them so quickly. Well, that's that's real. That's accurate to the time. Dating didn't even happen until the Industrial Revolution. Okay. Dating is like a product of consumerism. So, like, especially in when you're aristocrats, you would just say... I love you. And then you would like get married or not get married or whatever. But like there was no there was no courtship. Got it. Maybe there was like, I have an intent to court you and we will dance at the next three dances we're at together. And then I will tell you that I love you. But that was about it. It, it, it all traditionally did happen very, very quickly. Hmm. Yeah. You're a suitable match. <laughs> it was it was literally all based on like lust. OK, I, I, I never lust actually, you. Like getting getting to know someone. Yeah. Got so it. That's Classic actually, France. That's actually fairly. Let's. Yeah, exactly. Classic <laughs> France. There's a reason why France has the reputation that it does. Yes. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. So this is pretty pretty accurate to the times of how fast everything went down and how fast he was re ready to declare love and how fast she was ready to believe that he was in love with her. Um, I think it was a little bit of a mix of the both why she got so upset. Obviously, we already have talked about her being a very devout and moral person and being in a happy marriage. And so I think it was equal parts. A man is declaring his love for me. And that makes, you know, that makes any person feel good when someone is like, I want you and all I can think about is you and you make me want to be a better man. Like, people are into that. But also, yeah. she's like, it very much, I think, also did upset her, which is why she got so overwhelmed she had to go take off her corset. Got it. That night, John Malkovich catches his butler sticking it to the maid. And then he blackmails the maid into showing him all of Michelle Pfeiffer's incoming and outgoing mail. Um, we cut to Keanu Reeves teaching Uma some kind of grading music. Oh and my god! Oh man, it's brutal. I almost asked 
Andrew to pull a clip of this so that you guys could hear it. And then I was like, I don't want to do that to anyone that doesn't have to listen to it. I can't. I cannot handle harpsichord. Um, it. Oh, man. If you're not familiar with a harpsichord, it's it's a piano that plucks the string instead of hammers it. And it's just, oh, my God, it's so jarring. When you think of when you think of court music, you think of a harpsichord. Yes. Like if you don't know what it is, but you're thinking of like courtly French music, that's a harpsichord. And he's playing the harpsichord, she's playing the harp, and they're both singing, but they're it's terrible. No one's playing the right notes or Mm-mm. singing the right notes. Mm-mm. Yeah, and that's his job. That's why they <laughs> hired him to Yeah. You should teach her how to be better at music. And <laughs> this guy doesn't know what he's doing. So there's that. Um so they're having a music lesson and they keep sneaking side glances at one another and the mom is in the room. The second that the mom leaves the room for a moment, Keanu Reeves gets up and slips a piece of paper into her fingers and she unfolds the piece of paper and it says, I love you. That got me. That was a great laugh from me. <laughs> it was. It seemed like such a childlike yes. grade school thing you know yeah. slip the note i love you and then she hides it really quick <laughs> it's yeah. just so funny great handwriting yeah. so uma is shook and then we cut to the opera and i don't know how much time has passed between then and and the opera at first i thought it was that night but then it turns out that there have been multiple lit- letters written back and forth yeah um so it's clearly not been longer than that So at the opera, she's asking Glenn Close for advice. She's like, you're my friend. You're the only one I can ask for these about these things. Should I respond to his letters? And Glenn Close is like, you shouldn't. Your marriage has been arranged already. But maybe I can help you respond to him anyway as a friend because I encourage your love for this person as a friend um, and not as any sort of machination. And she's like, great. And that's when we find out there's been multiple letters exchanged already. So now we cut to the next day back at the estate and Michelle Pfeiffer is like, I'm deeply offended. This confirms everything I knew about you. In fact, I think maybe all of this is a setup. And he's like, no, I'm so confused because I've only ever experienced passion. I've never been in love and I'm in pain when you leave the room and I don't (laughs) want to have you. I just want to be worthy of you. He says, tell me what to do and I will do it. And she says, then leave. Hmm. Yeah. Get out. Bummer. And at first she tries to argue, but then she's she's not arguing and he wants to prove his love. So he's like, okay, I'm going to leave, but I'm going to write you. And then we see that all this might be working and Michelle Pfeiffer doesn't want to be around him because she doesn't trust herself. That's it. So it's already he's under her skin. It's working. She's sold. It's working. I don't know why it's working. Nothing that we've seen is anything that would work on most people, but it's working. So he leaves the estate and we see him corresponding with her, just like he said, but he's writing the letter on the back of a naked girl he's just slept with. Yeah, that was an interesting scene. Yeah, the first of many naked people letter writing scenes. John Malkovich is way into using naked people as desks. Yeah, and, and his his ink that he's dipping into is is positioned right on a left buttock. Mm-hmm. Just to really make mm-hmm. that image clear for you listeners. Right. Yeah. Don't. Move. I'm trying <laughs> to do calligraphy here. Stop. Stop it. Not ideal. No. Not ideal. No. I got to believe the sharp point on those fountain pens. It just, you know, maybe it's really thick paper, but I feel like it would go. It is very thick paper. Right <laughs> through. Papyrus. Okay. <laughs> so then we cut to John Malkovich and Glenn Close. 
And it turns out the woman who has been writing to warn Michelle Pfeiffer about how bad a person John Malkovich is, is Susie Kurtz, Uma Thurman's mother. So now he's in on the plan to ruin her daughter because he's like, this woman is ruining my other plans. So I'll help you ruin his her daughter. This woman is speaking the truth and I must punish her. <laughs> and then Glenn <laughs> Close is all... Yeah, you can help me. Keanu Reeves is being a dense dummy, and I need you to be his confidant and push him into doing it with Uma. And I think we have an audio clip of that. Is there anything I could do to help? I'm entirely at your disposal. Well, yes. I told Donsony you would act as his confidant and advisor. I need you to stiffen his resolve, if that's the phrase. I thought if anyone could help him. Help? He doesn't need help. He needs hindrances. If he has to climb over enough of them, he might inadvertently fall on top of her. <laughs> I take it he hasn't been a great success. Oh, he's been disastrous. Like most intellectuals, he's intensely stupid. So I need you to help grease the wheels and get Keanu Reeves to do it with Uma Thurman. And then she starts to weave a tale about how she's a sociopath. And we have an audio clip of that as well. I often wonder how you managed to invent yourself. Well, I had no choice, did I? I'm a woman. Women are obliged to be far more skillful than men. You can ruin our reputation and our life with a few well-chosen words. So of course I had to invent not only myself, but ways of escape no one has ever thought of before. And I've succeeded because I've always known I was born to dominate your sex and avenge my own. So she says the only time she's ever been controlled by her desire instead of her controlling everything around her was when she met John Malkovich. And this is clearly because she's trying to do that thing that she's been doing. That We have the subtext of her doing this whole time, which is they've been in this sort of will they, won't they thing. And it it seems like maybe they have, but she won't let him right now. And yeah. she is keeping him engaged, but at arm's length, which she clearly has been doing for a very long time. So that's this whole sort of story that is, this is how I got this this depraved. Mm -hmm. But she's using this story to actively keep him engaged, but not with her. There's a, there's a. There's a different version of this story, and I get it, I get how it was written, but there's a different version where if they had just decided to be together, then everything would be fine, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like if these two people, it seems like they very clearly care about each other, but they've been playing these weird mind games for so long that it seems like neither of them knows another way. Or when like this, how to be when genuine. When the story starts, both of them think that love is for fools. Yeah. So they can't be in love with each other because they're not fools. I right. I also got a vibe that it was like a turn on for each of them to to do this to other people. Well, yeah, because she likes having control and he likes having the reputation of like being able to convince people of things they don't want to do. Yeah. <laughs> and it seemed like that was what kind of kept them vying for each other. It's like if you're willing to do this heinous thing just to be with me, then I'm into it. So, but you're totally right. I mean, again, like any movie, if everyone just communicated, <laughs> we wouldn't have a, a story, but it would all work out yeah. fine. Can we just talk? Um, Can we just talk about this? a short movie. <laughs> 
So this this conversation is interrupted by the mother who is paying a call. And Glenn Close tells her that her daughter is having a dangerous liaison. And if I had a buzzer, I would hit it right there where it's like, <laughs> ding, ding, ding. They said the title of the movie because every time that anyone does that in anything, it pulls me right out of the movie. And I'm like, oh, there you go. You said the title of the movie. Yeah. Um, Son of a bitch. I can turn it off now. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are not going to like The Matrix. <laughs> <laughs> So she warns the mother that her daughter is falling for Keanu Reeves. And the mother's like, nonsense. She's just a child and he's a nice young man. And Glenn Close is like, well, she's hiding a bunch of letters. So I think she's in love. And then the mother's like, I got to go. I got to go take care of this. And Glenn Close is like, one more bit of advice. Why don't you take her, that aunt, up on the invite to spend the summer in her country, in the country at her estate and get her out of here, away from all of this. Yeah. And then the mom goes and finds the letters and Uma faints. Mm-hmm. But we've now got it where Glenn Close has has arranged for where everybody is for this w- summer. Now also Uma Thurman will be there. So John Malkovich has to go back to the country, <laughs> even though he told Michelle Pfeiffer he would leave. Yep, he did he leave. Gets, he did, but he's coming he did back. Leave. Yep. Yeah, he's come back. <laughs> yeah, he gets everyone to go for a walk as a diversion, and tosses a letter at Uma, and it's from Keanu. Yes. She grabs her shawl and he grabs it off of her shoulders and he says, come back for it. So she goes out for a walk with everyone else. And then she's like, oh, I forgot my shawl. And then she runs back to go get it. And John Malkovich says, I can't get created diversion every time I want to get you these letters. I will pass these love letters to you, but I need an easier way to do it. So you have to steal the key to your bedroom from your mother and give it to me so I can cut a key, a copy of the key. And sneak into your room at night to give you more letters from Keanu Reeves. Mm. And she's like, yeah, sure. That sounds like a good idea. Do you think <laughs> Do you think they call it, they would have called it key cutting back then? Like, didn't you just forge it? I know that's like a weird detail, but it's like you didn't have the thing you walked up to in Home Depot and you like pushed a blank in there and it would use, you know, a cutting blade to shape a key. And I don't, I, it just bothered me. Well, go ahead. I don't know about that. I don't know if they were. I actually think they might have been cut. Yeah. Still. It's, it was a very ornate key. That's, Let's just put that out that's there. That's true. But I, I I, don't know. But I do not know the, the history of locksmithing. So It's fine. I'll figure it say. out, guys. Don't worry. I, I'm yeah. on it. Right. <laughs> don't, don't go too far. <laughs> yeah. We still got this thing we're working on here. <laughs> so... Then they get back from the walk, and and it was a close call, but he's got the key to Uma Thurman's room now. And we find out that Michelle Pfeiffer is pissed that he came back, and he lays it on thick. And then she's a mess. And um, she's like, I told you to leave. And he's like, I did leave, but now I'm back, and I can't be away from you, and blah, blah, blah. And she falls apart because she's now torn between two men this was was this the part where they were they were talking in the garden was that the so i just want to there was that incredibly funny i laughed out loud when he walks away and she Mm -hmm. says wait or beckons wait a minute or something Mm -hmm. and his head just pops back out from behind the tree i lost my shit for that part because it seemed (laughs) so out of time almost like that's a thing that people do now Mm -hmm. but i just thought it was really really funny he does like maybe two or three things in the movie that seem like comedy now that Mm -hmm. 
I was like, all right, all right, I can get down with this. These are the moments where I'm losing this guy. He does something funny. He brings me back. It's really, I'm torn. I'm really torn. <laughs> yeah. So then it's night and he sneaks into Uma's bedroom and assaults her uh, under the threat of alerting her mother to his presence. And, and like was mentioned earlier, um, she says, I have the key to your bedroom. Why would I have that unless you gave it to me and you wanted me here? So what is your mother going to think if you try and get anyone to come in and save you? Yep. Yeah. And he lost me again, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I also wasn't, didn't realize that was his play at the beginning. I thought he was trying to be genuine and be like, see, I'm a nice person because I'm going to deliver you these letters. I was like, oh, my God, you did this because you knew she put up a fight. Mm -hmm. And you had an out to say, well, then why'd you give me a copy of your key? I was like, man, that's rough. Yep. And then the next day at lunch, she, Uma Thurman is distraught. And he, she's trying to keep it cool, but he's teasing her silently from across the table and making faces at her and doing lewd things with his tongue until she can't take it anymore and she runs out of the room. She blocks the door that night so he can't get in again. And mm. she's sobbing and crying and writing a letter. Turns out that she wrote the letter to Glenn Close asking for help. Glenn Close comes out to the country to console her because she's distraught. And the mom is like, I don't know what's wrong with her. I don't know what's going on. I don't know if she's sick or whatever, but she's been like this for days. And then Glenn Close says, do you really want my advice? Keep sleeping with John Malkovich and let him teach you how to have sex. Convince your mom that you're done with Keanu Reeves. Marry the man your mother wants you to, but as long as you take a few precautions, you can have as many you can have sex as many times as you like with as many men as you like in as many ways as you like, because women get the raw end of the deal in things, so you might as well take advantage of the few things you can. It's quite a speech. And somehow this turns Uma Thurman around from being distraught at being assaulted into cool. I am gonna learn how to be a slut. <laughs> Right. And like, I'm all for being a slut. I am pro being a slut, just like as a, as a general political philosophy, go have sex with everyone that yeah. I'm not opposed to that at all. But I do think that that does not all of a sudden take away the fact that you were assaulted against your wishes. Yeah. Now they try to they try to sort of play this off as a Glenn Close in this whole speech of here's my advice asks her, did you stop him? And she says, yes. I, you know, tried to fight him off. And then she's like, did you try to fight him off? And she's like, well, he just has a way of saying things that you agree to it even if you don't want to. And she's like, you didn't, you could just say no. And she's like, I didn't say, I couldn't just say no or whatever. And so yeah. that's like, maybe she really wanted it. And she clearly did not really want it. And she's not happy that it happened. But that's how the movie tries to make it not rape. Yep. Yeah. And also kind of explain this immediate turnaround where she's like, cool, I'm going to learn how to have sex from John Malkovich so I can have sex with whoever I want. Yeah. Didn't love this. Yeah. I, I wa I'm wondering if it was uh, that young people of this time were just more able to be just convinced by someone with with words really or with age i mean i think i think that's what this movie is trying to say i don't think that's true though yeah like, I, that's I just what it keeps everybody can well at least john malkovich and glenn close seem to be able to talk their way out of any situation and end with a favorable result for themselves really yeah i, I think some of it was the age 
So, you know, Glenn Close is this older, supposed to be wiser, listen to your elders kind of thing like we learned from the beginning of the movie. And I think they're really trying to drum up Malkovich as somebody who has a way with words, like he's educated and he has a strong vocabulary. Um, and he kind of introduces like circular thinking. I mean, none of that is going to make assault and you've been crying for days go away. Yeah, I didn't like that they were they were trying. Glenn Close was trying to say, like, whatever did happen, you should appreciate. I guess she was trying to change her mindset. Um, but I didn't appreciate that they that Glenn Close is making it easier for Malkovich. She's like helping him out on this challenge. And I guess that's because she wanted the end result just as much as Malkovich did. But it kind of like lost its its. I mean, that was the whole idea to begin with was that she wanted him to ruin her. Yeah. Yeah. When you verse, I guess when you hear it in the beginning and they're talking and it's this more or less playful banter versus actually seeing it transpire, you're like these are two callous, cold people mm -hmm. right here. Right. Well, and I mean, again, in Cruel Intentions, this is the same scenario with Cecile where, you know, he seduces her and takes her virginity and gets her drunk to do it. But also she wants it by the time he gets to that point. And yep. that's the big difference for me of I like Cruel Intentions and I thought that I liked this movie until watching it again, because in that everyone even if they got talked into something that they would not have done otherwise, when they actually are like having sex, they want to be having sex. They are aroused. They're like, yes, I want to do this. They're like, fuck all the consequences. I'm not going to think about that right now. And yes. that is fine because people make those kinds of mistakes all the time, but like they want to do it. Their body and their hormones take over and they're into it. Yep. And that I feel like is not problematic in the way that all of this is problematic. Like this just made me upset and made me like, I didn't understand Uma Thurman just letting it go. Like, I get Uma Thurman being happy about now she's free to be a sexual person because Glenn Close has told her that that's, like, a, a possibility. That's fine, except for the fact that it just takes away the fact that she was assaulted to begin with. And I just don't think that's something that she would get over. Yeah. Yes. If it was, if, it, if Glenn Close had given that advice a week prior... All, yes! Yeah, that's exactly. basically, <laughs> yeah, if that's Glenn it. Close just sat her down and said, listen, I know you don't want to marry this guy. We talked about it and you were, you were like, oh, he's so old and you don't want to do it. But <laughs> just marry him. Convince your mom you're over Keanu Reeves. Learn how to have sex and then go have sex with whoever you want. And then she's like, oh, John Malkovich came in and he starts touching me and I'm not sure if I want it. But then I'm like, oh, wait, I can have sex with whoever I want. Literally just switching those scenes would have made all of this totally not a problem. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. Even if she didn't really like John Malkovich and didn't even necessarily really want to have sex with him. And she's like, well, maybe I should do it to get practice. Totally different than him literally forcing himself on her. So, yeah. Anyway, then they're at a party and they snark all over the place now that they've sort of checked one revenge off the list. <laughs> and I think we have an audio clip of that as well. Surely I've explained to you before how much I enjoy watching the battle between love and virtue. What concerns me is that you seem to enjoy watching it much more than you used to enjoy winning it. All in good time. The century is drawing to its close. Isn't it a pity that our agreement does not relate to the task you set me, rather than the task I set myself? 
I am grateful, of course, but that would have been almost insultingly simple. One does not applaud the tenor for clearing his throat. Fantastic quote. It was really good. So they're, they're waiting to see if Michelle Pfeiffer joins the party while they're having all of this conversation. And it's very sort of like they're having a good time. But then when Michelle Pfeiffer walks in and sits down, Glenn Close sees the way that John Malkovich looks at Michelle Pfeiffer. And she realizes that he has feelings for her yep. that he's not even admitting yet. But she sees the way that he looks at her and she her face just falls. She does incredible face acting there where she's like keeping a very stony face. But you can feel the like gut punch of realizing that this guy that you thought you had complete control over is falling for someone. Yep. This was this was one of the moments truly where there's it's a long period of time where nothing is exchanged verbally and so much happens. Yeah. Yep. It's really masterfully done. Yeah. So then we cut to John Malkovich walking with Michelle Pfeiffer and we hear like a voiceover from a letter that he's writing to Glenn Close where they're like walking every day and every day it's a little bit longer and she's coming around to it. She's starting to fall for him and have feelings and they're sharing parts of themselves and whatever. And then in her room, he gets her to admit that she loves him. And when she says, yes, I do love you, he kisses her. And then she starts sobbing and falls to the ground and clinging to his legs and asking him to help her because she can't she can't do anything about this. And he picks her up and he lays her in bed and he starts undoing her clothes. But she's still shaking and crying. And so he can't do it. He's going to sleep with her. But the second that he like can't you know, get into it because she's too emotional and he cares about her emotions. Yep. He calls to the aunt to come in and sit with her because he's like, she's sick. Um, So he leaves when the aunt comes in. And then once everyone is out of the room, Michelle Pfeiffer reveals to the aunt that she has to leave the house. She doesn't want to go, but she's desperately in love and couldn't live with the guilt. So she has to go. And the old aunt says, there's no advice that can help someone in this situation. Um, like any advice I give you, you're not going to listen to. Um, if he gave you an out by not sleeping with you, then you, you do have to go. Yeah. And that's her nephew, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like basically she's admitting, yeah, he's kind of a, he's kind of a douchebag. If he let you go, you should get gone. Yep. Yep. So she leaves basically in the middle of the night or very, very early in the morning and his butler runs into the room and wakes up John Malkovich and he's like, you have to see. And they run to the window and they see her carriage pulling away. And he's like, that's her. And so John Malkovich is like, go stalk her. Here's a bunch of money for bribes. I want to know every place she goes, every person she sees, everything she eats. I want to know what she's reading. Tell me everything. We find out that she's not eating much. Nope. She's eating her soup and drinking tea, but she left all the rest of her food untouched. And she's displaying all the signs of heartbreak. And the book on her bedside table is with like codes of Christian conduct or something like that. Yeah, I don't volume remember. two. Yeah. <laughs> did you did you have like a moment where it was like, man, could you imagine not having you, you start to think like times when there wasn't things to distract you and you're just sitting there like in your own thoughts. There's no there's no like TV or, you know, a phone or any of that stuff. It's just they just yeah. very well captured her just kind of sitting there staring into nothing, probably just ruminating on whatever, you know, crazy thoughts she's having. And it was like, man, that's yeah. that's rough. So then Keanu Reeves 
shows up at Glenn Close's house and John Malkovich is there and he's there to thank John Malkovich for all of his help in wooing Uma Thurman. Glenn Close thinks this is delightful, <laughs> but then threatens John Malkovich's manhood for not having slept with Michelle Pfeiffer yet. Yeah. And John Malkovich reveals that Uma Thurman is two weeks late pregnant with his baby. And this whole conversation of like, you used to be a man who could seduce women and whatever, but now you've gone soft and blah, 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 spurns him on. So he goes to Michelle Pfeiffer and threatens to kill himself if she doesn't love him, essentially. That's what all this, the whole scene boils down to. There's a lot of back and forth, but like, essentially he's like, I'm going to kill myself. Goodbye. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever your answer is. Oh, that was such, so melodramatic. It was unbelievable. (laughs) I just, when he said that, I was like, really? Yeah. That's where we're going to go? Went all in. Yeah. Too much. Too much. But it works. Because she throws herself at him and she stops him. And she says, I promise I won't refuse you again. No more refusals. And so they do it on the couch. Somebody's (laughs) going to be like, all right, see ya. Fine. Go die, I guess. You know, that was just... I mean, someone should say that to him. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, Definitely. it should have been... that. There are so many moments in this movie where it could have ended, uh, like, uh, positively, on a happy note. Yep. This was one. It did not. But instead, they do it on the couch. Yeah. And then he runs yelling into Glenn Close's house to brag, all happy and giddy that he did it. Yeah, he's, he bedded he, her. he's like shouting the word success as he runs into the castle. <laughs> <laughs> but he doesn't just say, cool, I did it and I'm here to brag. He starts talking about how wonderful it was and how he's never had any experience like that. Mm-hmm. And then the more that he talks about it, the more that Glenn, Clo- Glenn Close gets sad because he's clearly fallen in love. Oh, yeah. And this is something Andrew mentioned earlier. Like, they they don't make eye contact in this conversation. And I thought it was really interesting how they shot it. He's kind of talking at the side of her head. And she's mm-hmm. just looking somewhere else in the room. Um, and, mm-hmm. and again, you just see the progression of all, all of the emotion just, like, falling out of her face. Yeah. So, he doesn't have feelings for her anymore. Or at least... His feelings for Glenn Close are greatly overshadowed by his very current infatuation, like, love that's at top of mind for him mm-hmm. with Michelle Pfeiffer. And because hell hath no fury like a woman scorned, Glenn Close <laughs> is like, our bargain is null and void. I take it all back. We're not doing it. You can't have sex with me because you love her. Because I'm jealous. John Malkovich tries to convince her that he does love her and he's always loved her. But... He's and he's uh, st- starting to work. Like Glenn Close's face starts to turn around when he's like, "No, I've it's always been you." Like clearly, but then he ends by saying, "This is just an infatuation, and it'll be over in two weeks." But the word infa- infatuation ruins it all again, and Glenn Close is pissed off. So, so she storms off. Yeah, word choice. It's just word choice, Malkovich. You know, you just you yeah. picked the wrong ones. <laughs> Right. So he does admit that he's infatuated with Michelle Pfeiffer and undoes all the work that he just did trying to convince her he does still love Glenn Close. Yes. She storms off, and it turns out the young man that she currently has hidden in her chambers that she just leaves to sit there until she's ready to call on them is currently Keanu Reeves. What a twist. Oh. This is a five seconds. We see him on screen for now a total of... Two and a half minutes, yes. maybe, yeah. so far. <laughs> so Glenn Close writes a letter to John Malkovich saying, I'm leaving for a few weeks. When I come back, we will have one night together and it will be our last time together ever, provided you were able to find written proof. 
and something about regret, but regret, you can't have happiness if you don't have regret. Something like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So she's like, I'll be gone for two weeks. And when I get back, we're going to do it. But that will be the last time we ever do it. Michelle Pfeiffer comes over to John Malkovich's place and she's all glowy and in love and wearing some real froofy dress to accentuate the fact that she's like a schoolgirl in love. But the thing is, he just had a hooker in his room and at first the hooker was going to sneak out when she was announced but then instead john malkovich was like wait maybe we should see have her see you here and she walks into the room to say hello to her love john malkovich and he sees she sees him paying a hooker and she's like i know her she's a courtesan she's been pointed out to me and he's like well she you know i've spent a lot of my life with unsavory people uh she like a lot of people in her profession actually spend a lot of time doing charity work um giving back to people less fortunate so i occasionally give her money to help her with her charity work and this woman's like michelle pfeiffer says well i wish i could believe you and he's like i knew you were coming you were announced so it's i didn't you know this is my proof that there's nothing to hide is i didn't try to hide her yep um and she's like okay i believe you and then they're (laughs) in love or whatever (laughs) they do it And then John Malkovich says, start writing letters to me again. So clearly he's still after the proof to sleep with Glenn Close. Yep. Yep. And then he goes immediately to tryst with Uma Thurman some more. Uh, The wind bangs open a window or a door or something. And they feel like they're, they get worried that somebody's there. Uma falls out of the bed. And John Malkovich comes back to the bed saying it was just a, it was just the wind. There's nothing to be scared of. And she's like, yes, there is. I'm bleeding. Uh Oh, yeah. So she, she falls out of bed and miscarries. They also don't know where Keanu Reeves is. Yeah. He's been missing for the exact amount of time that Glenn Close has been out of town. (laughs) Two weeks at this point, something, yeah. yeah, Something along those lines. (laughs) Coincidence. Yeah. So Glenn Close is back in town and John Malkovich rushes in. And Keanu Reeves is nestled all up close to her in bed. And John Malkovich takes great pleasure in distracting Keanu from his infatuation with Glenn Close by telling Keanu that Uma has been sick and also been wondering where he is. She's in love with him. She's back in Paris. Can't find him. She's distracted, not being able to find where he is. And then also, he hasn't been there while she's been ill. And the surgeon says she's recovering, but she he hasn't been there for any of it. For this scene... I just want to say this was beautifully framed. There's a mm-hmm. huge mirror on the wall and in the reflection of the mirror is Glenn Close. And then mm-hmm. you have Malkovich and Keanu on either side of this mirror. So there's like this triangle that is yes. made. Yeah. It, it, it's, it was really, really well done. I noticed that I was, it's some great, great filmmaking right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then he goes over to Glenn Close and says, I have a letter for you to read, essentially, and hands it over. (laughs) And Glenn Close reads it, is like, so let's seal the deal. And she's like, not right now, not in this terrible mood you're in. Come back in a better mood next week and we'll, you know, settle our debts, nudge, nudge, wink, wink. (laughs) Because I still love you in spite of all of your faults. And he said, are you sure there's not going to be some kind of new rule? And instead of answering the new rule question directly... She instead tells him this anecdote veiled as kind of a warning. Your affair and you falling in love with Michelle Pfeiffer is hurting your reputation as a scoundrel and you're becoming a laughingstock. 
And the anecdote basically says, gives him the script to use to break up with Michelle Pfeiffer. And so there's this whole, this whole story that she tells him about a friend and another friend and warning him that he was a laughingstock and etc. is all a veiled... It's a warning that he's becoming a laughingstock, but also it's her saying, I'm not going to sleep with you while you're with Michelle Pfeiffer. Yep. Yeah. It's unbelievable how insecure, you know, these two people know each other's weaknesses so well. And she's just able to pinpoint these little things that would make him act uh, otherwise. I mean, he's a terrible person, but out of the character that he's currently in, really. So, yeah. So he basically takes that script that Glenn Close has just given him and he goes to break up with Michelle Pfeiffer and he says everything he can to make her hate him because he knows that he can't sleep with Glenn Close unless he breaks up with her. And you can tell he doesn't want to. His voice like cracks a couple of times and he walks out of her house crying and drives his carriage immediately over to Glenn Close in something of a rage. Yep. Yeah. Now, it actually turns out that maybe it's been a couple of days since he broke up with Michelle Pfeiffer, but I've definitely looked in the movie like he went immediately over to her house. So I'm not exactly sure what the timeline was there. But anyway, (laughs) he goes over to Glenn Close in a rage because he just broke up with the woman that he loves for her. And he talks about wanting to win Michelle Pfeiffer back. And that will actually be his new greatest triumph is he broke the heart of the woman that he was impossible to win. And now he wants to get her back. And Glenn Close says, you're a vain man. And just the suggestion of people laughing at you made me win. You got I got you to hurt the woman that you love. Yep. And he gets furious and he slaps her and she's like. I'm tired of men bossing me around. That's why I never got remarried. I take a less marital tone, which is, I really liked that line. Yeah. Instead of saying, don't yell at me and tell me what to do. She says, take a less marital tone. Why don't you? <laughs> um, so he says, I came here to spend the night and I won't take kindly to being turned away. And she says, I have other plans tonight. And he says, yes, I know. And then he really gets a kick out of the next thing he says, which is, I'm afraid Keanu Reeves isn't coming over tonight. I have arranged for him to spend the night with Uma. I made him choose between the two of you, and he didn't even hesitate to choose her. There was not even a second of doubt between you and her. And in the earlier scene, she had said something along the lines of like, he's hopelessly devoted to me or something kind of along those lines. So it was a real twist. They know the exact things to to push one another's buttons, exactly what the weak spots are. So he takes real delight in saying... He didn't even hesitate to choose Uma over you. And then he's like, now are we doing this thing or not? It's your choice. He says the thing that's really funny about a purgatorial couch. Yeah. Yeah. He references. They've had sex on the couch before. And he's like, are we going to your bedroom? Are we going to, or are we doing it here on this, as I remember, rather purgatorial couch? And I thought that was hilarious. (laughs) Yeah, it was good. Because it does look like an uncomfortable couch to have sex on. But anyway, that's beside the point. (laughs) the point is he's like are we doing this or not it's your choice but understand that a no will be taken as an act of war all i need is one word for you and she says all right war i thought she was gonna say no (laughs) (laughs) i mean she did in a way (laughs) she did yeah there was that was a really great shot of her too because yep. yes, we had an incredible r- shot, just like a front, like head on, and she was lit yep. like very dramatically. It was really cool. Yep. Yeah, and and she she just was pitch perfect in the way that she delivered the line. Yeah, and then we cut to uh, 
outside scene in the snow and we hear her voiceover of a letter that she's writing to Kiana Reeves saying, I hear you spent the night with Uma Thurman. I heard this from her more regular lover, John Malkovich. Oh, man. (laughs) And then we see this outside scene that we're seeing is two people sword fighting and it's Kiana Reeves and John Malkovich in a sword fighting duel. We cut to Uma Thurman and her mother going to visit Michelle Pfeiffer in a convent hospital And Michelle Pfeiffer says, I'm dying because I didn't listen to you, basically, about John Malkovich and how terrible he was. So we go cut back to John Malkovich, Keanu Reeves, sword fighting, and occasionally switching who has the upper hand and who you think is going to win. Yeah. And we cut between the nuns, like, bleeding and cupping Michelle Pfeiffer and John and Keanu Reeves dueling. Yeah, so they were doing, like, bloodletting, right? It was pretty, pretty wild. Yeah, they were uh, doing a couple different kinds of bloodletting. There was like they were hashing her back before the cupping, and the cupping they did sometimes. Like we still do cupping today, right. but, but yeah. like we don't break the skin first. But that was like to draw the impurities. You cut the skin to draw those out, and then they also sliced her arm open to do a bloodletting. So they're bleeding her. John and Keanu are dueling to the death, and we see John Malkovich on the floor on the ground in the snow. And we see his decision to lose the fight. Basically, suicide by Keanu Reeves. Yep. Yeah, he, like, drops his sword and... Takes his hand. Like, he's on the ground, face planted. Um, and his hand is on his sword. And he sort of takes it off. And he just has one finger on the sword instead of a, a grip around it. And so Keanu, like, pulls him up and runs him through. And so he's been run through with a sword. And he gives all of his letters that Glenn Close has written to him with all of the schemes and everything to Keanu... And tells him to circulate them and not to trust Glenn Close. And here's why. Here's the proof. Give them to everybody. Make uh, make the world know. And then he asks him to go to Michelle Pfeiffer and tell her that he is dead. And that she is lucky he is gone. And that the only real happiness he ever had was with her. Keanu says he will. And then John Malkovich dies. Yeah. And the following scene where Keanu is actually telling her on her deathbed, I thought was really nice, mm-hmm. too. They didn't have any of the audio it was just Keanu like gently whispering into her ear that was a really nice shot too yeah the only audio in that scene is her after she hears all of this and is kind of digesting it she just asks him to draw the curtains and then she dies she's like it's death time (laughs) draw the curtains it's time to die John Malkovich is dead Michelle Pfeiffer is dead we cut to Glenn Close screaming and sobbing and crashing over furniture and throwing candelabras into mirrors and and just falling apart very viscerally. Yes. That was also a very impressive job that she did yep. there. It was extremely well done. Yeah. And we cut to her at the opera walking into her booth and she's now composed. Like it's it's a it's a very it's the only harsh cut in the movie that I thought worked really well yeah. because we saw her falling apart at the seams and immediately she, as soon as she's in public she's composed and stony again. Yeah. But we're now at the opera and the entire audience starts to turn and they see her walk into her booth and they all start jeering and booing and, and slamming their like fans on the railing. And yep. the entire audience is, is just near rioting at booing her out of the theater. So did you guys notice it wasn't actually a they weren't saying the word boo? It was like with a W? Yeah. Woo? I think it. Yeah, they were. Yeah, and um, there was, I don't know if it was this opera scene or another one, but there was a really cool camera move where they started on her and then kind of went at a strange angle up to 
another one of the one of the boxes. I don't know if it was this one or a previous one, but it was. I think it was. I think it was the first time that she sees Keanu Reeves. Maybe that's when it was earlier, but it was a really interesting, like twisting, panning um, movement that I was like, kind of confusing. But um, yeah, this scene was interesting be- uh, because they they just they did a great job of getting across the fact that Keanu did dispense them to to the rest of you know the yeah the surrounding yep. people. Word has spread. Yep. Everyone knows all of the things that she has done. So then we see her sitting in front of a mirror, taking off her makeup, distraught and sort of silent, tears leaking out, and we fade to black. And I really liked the way that they bookended the movie with shots of her looking in the mirror. The first thing we see is her admiring herself and everything she's built. And then at the end, when everything is tumbling down around her and she's sort of taking down the walls as as she's taking off the music, like the facade is crumbling. I wonder if that's why they didn't show his face in the beginning. I think so. That's my guess, but also maybe John Malkovich was such a big deal that the reveal was a big deal then. I definitely appreciate the starting and ending with the shot in the mirror and like how that tells the story. But I think that they still could have done that and shown John Malkovich's face as he was getting ready. Like still just start with her and end with her and you've got the same thing. But Hmm. that's the movie. Quite a fall from grace. Yeah. If uh, grace is a very generous term for what these people have, but <laughs> yeah, Whitney, mm-hmm. would you ultimately recommend this film as Ooh. something for a person to watch? I thought my answer was going to be yes, but my answer is no. I will tell people to go watch Cruel Intentions. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I mean it's the same story, and you can still watch people being shitty to one another and and all their machinations and whatever, but it's it's going to be more fun and enjoyable to watch than this was. Okay. Yeah. Um, it's funny. I had seen Cruel Intentions and only once, eh, maybe twice. Maybe I caught it on like TBS or something. Uh, and I remember thinking that it was, you know, this was a good movie and it had a lot of recognizable people in it at the time. Uh, Selma Blair and I can't mm-hmm. remember, I'm spacing on who the main who Glenn Close's counterpart would have been. Sarah but, Michelle Gellar. Oh, yeah, that's right. So Buffy, she was riding high at that time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I think uh, I would probably say the same thing, even not having seen Cruel Intentions, just from <laughs> Whitney's experience. I'm going to go ahead and say, watch that, not this. It's just a bunch of rich people being shitty to each other, questionable things about consent in this movie, rape and mm-hmm. all that bad stuff so watch cruel intentions and then watch like downton abbey and you'll kind of be split split the difference it's great you'll get your fill of both ev i i i think if you were a big fan of cruel intentions then you should watch this movie if you like really enjoyed cruel intentions then you should see something that takes a more classic approach to probably what the play or book um explained and I don't know, I think it, just for due diligence. But if if you're not, then no. It's... As someone who is a very big fan of the movie Cruel Intentions, <laughs> I will say that that's wrong. I didn't get anything out of it because honestly, it, it's almost shot for shot in some ways. The dialogue is very different, obviously, because they modernized it. Yeah. But it's still Cecile and the music teacher. It's still like everything is, yeah. is the same. Um, the only thing that you get out of this one is that he forces himself on people. Yeah. He kisses Michelle Pfeiffer when she doesn't want to be kissed. He assaults people. I'm just thinking 
you know, if you really liked the modern Italian job, then you go check out the original. It's kind of just the mindset that I'm in. <laughs> well, except for, except for I think they say different things in the modern Italian job and the old Italian yeah. job. Like they are, you get something different out of them. Mm-hmm. This is, you don't get it. There's no different moral. There's no, you don't get anything out of it that's different. It's just one is a period piece and one is not. Right. Um, and so it's not like a different take on the story. This movie is actually one of those weird situations where you have like Armageddon and Deep Impact come out in the same year. <laughs> Another movie that is this exact story came out the, this same year, 1988. It was called Valmont, which and yeah. apparently it starred Annette Benning rather than yes. Clint, uh, Glenn Close. So, so Annette Benning actually uh, interviewed for this movie. Oh, really? Like well, she, she was in the running to be Glenn Close's position and then ended up going... Either the director didn't cast her in this one, and so she went to the other one, or she decided to go to the other one. I don't know which, but she was actually potentially going to be in this movie, and then was in the other movie instead. Hmm. Okay, so that might be so that might be the one to check out. Maybe it's a, I, I don't know if it's just as problematic, but uh, maybe not. I have no idea how they chose to approach the source material for that one, but you might be able to split the difference and still get that very kind of on point time period piece with maybe uh some less less problematic uh details there andrew andrew loves to split the difference (laughs) (laughs) i flat out don't recommend this movie and i actually recommended a movie that doesn't even star keanu reeves for some reason but hey i don't know i don't know so uh it sounds like ev you do recommend and Whitney and I do not. Mm. So, given that, uh, where would this film fall in your rankings thus far? Are we talking top five? Is it? I don't think we have to go through each individual movie, but where would it fall in terms of what we currently have? I guess, Whitney, you could start us off there. Yeah, so we are, uh, what, nine movies in? Yes, that's correct. And, yeah, so I'm putting it... Um, I have it between Flying and Brotherhood of Justice at number four, I think, for me. Okay. Okay. Hmm. Evan, where are you going to put it? Um, can you do the top five? Yeah, you currently have River's Edge, Permanent Record, Brotherhood of Justice, The Night Before, and Youngblood. I think it's going to be above Brotherhood of Justice. So what's that third? Yeah. Yeah. Third. Okay. Good to know. Good to know. For me, I'm going to probably slot this in at my number five, which would knock flying out of that spot. Unfortunately. I also knocked flying down a spot for Dangerous (laughs) Liaisons. It's, uh, you know, (laughs) no love lost for that one for me. (laughs) But I think we all have the same opinion about that this is a well-made movie with some issues story-wise yeah. Yeah. and, you know, varying levels of uh, lukewarm yeah. on the overall. Yep. Yeah. So we got all that done. That's all our housekeeping. Yeah, that's everything. <laughs> Next week, I am absolutely, <laughs> I am ecstatic about this. This is a big one. We are talking Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. I am actually a little bit nervous because I have not seen this movie in a very long time and I 
I hope it holds up. I have never seen this movie. Hmm. This is going to be my first time watching Bill and Ted. This is an experience for yes. you. And it will be uh, documented for all eternity. <laughs> oh, for that's, public consumption. That's why I'm a little nervous. I just hope that it's... <laughs> here's the deal. I always get these people who... Uh, a lot of people have a very special place in their heart for 80s films. And if you miss them and then go back and rewatch them, there's a good chance that it just was like, it won't connect with you. Yeah. I have nothing. I, I feel like, I don't know. I have nothing preconceived going in. Okay. So I don't think I'm going to, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what happens. <laughs> I don't yeah. know what to expect. All right. And Ev, you have seen this? Yeah, but it's been a long time, and I don't even know if I saw all of it, so it's effectively net new for me. I'm excited for both of you, I gotta be honest. Yeah. So I can't I am too. Yeah. This was one of my first experiences with uh Keanu in life was this movie. <laughs> and specifically the second one, but Bill and Ted the characters, yes. You so. never forget your first time, you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's correct. That's correct. So all right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to wrap it up. Here we go. You can find our website at coolbreezepod.com and access all of our episodes, the list of films we'll be reviewing, film rankings, and much more. You can reach out to us by emailing coolbreezepod at gmail.com or hitting us up on Twitter at coolbreezepod. If you think this is a podcast you can get behind, please give us a subscription on your preferred platform and a review would be much appreciated. We actually got a really lovely review maybe last week sometime. That's the one I shared with the two of you. It was really, really nice to great. hear. So that's great. Yes, it was very nice. We'll be back next week with, uh, oh boy, I'm excited. But until then, Whitney, <laughs> where can we keep up with you on the internet? Yeah, so follow me on Twitter at Whitney underscore Nelson, N-E-L-S-E-N, and I'll sort of retweet all of the things that I'm doing, but I am on a video game podcast called Almost Better Than Silence. My biggest podcast, Historical Hotties, is one that I do with my sister where we talk about dead people that we fancy, and there's some really good episodes coming up, so now's a good time to get in and listen to new stuff, and that's uh, Historical Hotties. And then I am on a real play RPG called Myth Takes, and at some point, Extremely Fast and Incredibly Furious is coming out, but I have no idea what the release date is for that. So stay tuned to my Twitter, but don't hold your breath also. Very exciting. It's very exciting. Yeah. Evan. Yes. A Cree. Yes. That is the right pronunciation. Good job, Andrew. <laughs> Where are you? On the internet. Oh, um, I am on Instagram, um, at Evan Acri, as Andrew just so eloquently mentioned. Uh, mm -hmm. Also on Twitter. Don't go near it. It's nuclear. It's terrible. <laughs> um, but I do have an, an internet presence update for you all today. <gasps> what? What? I, what? Yes. It's something I've left off from previous, uh, and then I realized literally the other day that I have another internet presence. So my my apologies for keeping it from all of you. <laughs> it's called ten episodes. Um, I'm on Untapped, <laughs> which is an app for uh, checking in beers that you drink. So mm. um, for the listening audience, that's undoubtedly also on that app. You can find me. At Evan Acri. So here we go on the internet. Slowly but surely, 
on the most obscure corners, <laughs> edging, elbowing your way in. Amazing. I actually helped dissuade someone from following you on Twitter the other day. Thank you. So Thank you. I'm I'm glad to be of assistance there. I just wanted to <laughs> just wanted some acknowledgement. So appreciate that. You could find me at Dark Driving on Twitter. I am also going through the slow and laborious process of updating my website, and that should be done in the next six months or so. At Dark Driving on Twitter. Thank you all for joining us. And in the words of Bill S. Preston and Ted Theodore Logan, who we will be meeting next week, be excellent to each other. Party on, dudes.